reading from Second Peter chapter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things." For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I'm tall. I'm six seven, so we'll spare you all asking me that after. Um, I don't mind answering that question, but I get it a lot, as you can imagine. Um, yeah, my name's Terry. I did go to University of Georgia, um, so um, I'm not going to talk trash. I come in peace. If anybody knows where I can get Sugar Bowl tickets, do talk to me afterwards. Um, I would love to go, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm the campus minister for RUF International. Some of you know that already. RUF International, I'll tell you a little bit about that before we get started tonight. It's a partner ministry. It is part of RUF, just like RUF is. And it's basically a parallel ministry. I am the campus minister. I have the same job as John. It just looks different because the ministry is a little different. With RUF International, we want to welcome the nations. There are, at least last year, there were over 118 countries represented here at Texas. It makes up like 10% of the student population. Um, So we want to welcome them. We want to explore the gospel with them. We want to explore American culture, Austin culture, Texas culture with them. A big part of their coming here is to experience those things. But we also, just as RUF wants to equip you all to serve Austin and serve Texas, serve the university and the church, We want to equip believing students, be it international students, y'all, American students, um, but also Christians who live here to serve each other, to serve the nation, serve the city, 
serve the campus. So if you want to know more specifically, kind of like what we do, what I do as a ministry, I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards. I'm not going to just give you a PowerPoint on RUF International here tonight. But um, this is my second year doing it. Uh, And yeah, I'd love to, to talk to you about it. I'm married. My wife is not here. We've been married for four years. We met at Georgia, and we had our first son in May, Arthur. So uh, he's seven months old now, but she's home with him because he's in bed. So um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Happy to stick around and talk after if there's anything else you want to know. Um, But before we dive in, let's go ahead and go to God in prayer. Let's lift up John, Chrissy, and Hank especially. And let's go now to our Heavenly Father. God in heaven, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for bringing us here tonight, Lord. And thank you for your word to us. Lord, as the semester draws to a close, we pray that you'd be with us. I pray that you'd be with these students, that you'd guide them through these last days and weeks of the semester. And Lord, we pray uh, for students that couldn't be here, but we pray especially for John and Chrissy and Hank, we thank you for Hank's delivery, that he is doing well. And just pray for for them and the rest of their family, Lord, that you would be with them in this time. We thank you for the gift of another baby. And Lord, as we come to your word, we just ask that you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, that you'd open your word to us by your spirit, that you'd speak through me by your spirit. And Lord, we thank you most of all for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. As college students, as you all know, as our UF students, college is a stage for glory. I still have to this day, and it's probably one of my proudest achievements from my time at Georgia, my intramural flag football championship t-shirt that I like to wear when I go to the gym. Um, But be it the intramural field, be it academics, be it your social life, fraternities, sororities, College is set up to be a place for glory. People have probably told you and tell you still that college were the best years of their lives. And I think for a lot of people that's true for a lot of reasons. But it's a place for glory. It's a place to be the best at something, academically, socially, you name it. I'm not sure, I was telling Andrew this, I'm not sure like what shows y'all are watching because I don't know any of you very well. I don't even know if y'all care about reality TV, but um, I know as a married guy, I've seen my fair share of the Bachelor and Bachelorette franchise, Um, but probably my favorite reality TV show is The Great British Baking Show on Netflix. It's a really good hang. It's super just easygoing. Like other reality shows that I've seen, I know people get like cutthroat and mean. It's like man, we're just like cooking pasta. Like, why are you so angry about this? But the baking show, they're all like nice to each other. They're best friends. And it's really fun to watch. But basically, the reason I talk about all that, reality TV is about glory. It's about getting to the top of whatever the competition is. And that's what glory is. And as you all have looked at Jesus through the eyes of Peter this semester, you've seen glimpses, I'm sure, along the way of Jesus' glory. And that's what we're talking about tonight. You may wonder what glory is. I didn't, you know, I'm a sports fan, so I have an idea of what glory is. But if you asked me to define it, I wouldn't know how to do that. So I looked it up. 
And basically, glory is defined as praise, honor, renown by common consent to something that's exalted, something that's distinguished, something that is magnificent. That's why competing, sports, reality TV, glory comes to the person who's exalted, the person who survives whatever happens to be the best. College, the American dream, these are all about glory. And I think in each one of us, we all want some sort of glory. We all want some sort of recognition or fame or honor. And I think what we see from this text of Peter is that we want glory for ourselves. We want to make ourselves like God. But what Peter reminds us is that it is God who is making us like him. It is God who is making us like Jesus. So we're going to look at how Peter explains that. But hopefully it'll kind of be a good conclusion to what y'all have looked at this semester, to looking at Jesus through Peter's eyes and seeing how God is, is making us like Jesus through his word, through what Peter says here to us tonight. So first, we want to make ourselves like God. This is a temptation that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God had told them, you can eat of every tree in the garden except this one, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Satan comes along and he says, you know, he lies to them, he deceives them. But he tells them, you will not surely die after God told them they would die if they ate from that tree. Satan says, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It was so tempting that they ate because who wouldn't want to be like God? And of course, that was not just a one-time thing. In Genesis 11, we see a whole city building a tower to try to get to heaven because they wanted to make their own name great. They wanted to achieve their own glory. And even Jesus' disciples in Mark chapter 10 were fighting with each other about which of them was the greatest, which of them would sit next to Jesus, sit at the right hand of Christ in heaven. These all show us that we want to be great. And of course, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be great or wanting to be the best at whatever it is that we're doing or whatever it is that we're interested in. Whether that's our major, whether that's our role in our family or in our friend group. God has gifted us to do things and some of us he's gifted to do extremely well. And there's nothing wrong with that or wanting to do better at those things. But ultimately, it's God who gives us those abilities. It's God who gave us our abilities in the first place. It's God who gave us the resources to do well. It's God who brought all of you here, brought all of us here to the University of Texas and gave you, your family, abilities and access to scholarship, to resources, to money. And it's all because, as Genesis 1 tells us, God made us in his image. He made us to reflect his glory. What it means to be made in the image of God, and this is something that I talked about in my Bible discussion with international students this semester, is that he made us to reflect him the same way the moon reflects the light of the sun. 
Of course, the moon doesn't have any light of its own, but it was made in part to reflect the true light of the sun. So God made us in his image that we would reflect his glory, that we would reflect things about God to each other and to the rest of the world. Of course, after sin came into the world, that image, our ability to reflect him and reflect him well, was damaged. But even though it was damaged, that's still our design. We're still made in God's image. But like Adam and Eve, who were tempted to be like God, we tend to listen to those lies more than we listen to God himself. The truth about Genesis 3 is that God was not keeping anything from them, but was only keeping one tree from them. And part of that was to test them, to see would they trust God? Would they trust the one who gave them everything they had, who gave them the entire garden? Or are they going to listen to this snake that is contradicting what God said? Unfortunately for us, unfortunately for them, they did not listen to God. They listened to Satan. And what they found out, what we find out in this text is that apart from God, we have no light. Apart from the sun, the moon doesn't shine. We have nothing apart from what God has given. But we continue to try to be like God. We continue to try to make ourselves God's. And think about some of the ways that you're trying to do that. How are you trying to produce your own glory? How are you trying to make yourself sort of a God of your friend group, of your social circle? For me, y'all don't know me very well, but I'm going to tell you some things about me so that you'll know me a little bit better after this. But um, I want to be a great preacher. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great father. Um, I want to win my fantasy league. I want to have one of the best international ministries out there. I want to be extremely popular and liked among other pastors, ministers, friends. And some of that may not sound that bad, you know. And at face value, some of it isn't. But, you know, none of that has anything really to do with God. All of it just has to do with me. I want to be awesome, and I want to be so awesome that everybody that you guys can't help but like acknowledge and tell me how awesome I am. And I want that for me. I want to be awesome so that I can boast, so that I can say, man, look how great I am. Look how worthy of glory, of praise, of whatever else I am. None of that has anything to do with my wife, my child. It's all about me. I want the glory. What about you? What areas do you want glory and do you want it only for yourself? The temptation to be like God, the temptation to make ourselves like God, to do what we can to be like God, like Adam and Eve were tempted to, is tempting because it promises what we want. I don't think any of you guys would say that you've been tempted to do homework or been tempted to study, right? Like, you have to do it, so it's not really a temptation. It's just kind of what you're supposed to do and what you have to do. 
But we're tempted to watch Netflix. We're tempted to do things that we want to do that are fun, even when we're not supposed to do them. And temptation works because it promises that, even if it doesn't truly give it. The temptation to be like God, to make ourselves like God, is a temptation to truly make ourselves like God, to set the rules, to set the schedule, to not have to answer to anybody. But when we do this, when we make ourselves God, when we try to give ourselves glory, instead of reflecting the true glory of God, instead of reflecting the true glory of Christ, is we are putting ourselves on God's throne. We are taking him off and we are putting ourselves on and saying, I'm God, I'm going to set the rules, and I'm going to determine what's right and wrong. As we've seen in this passage, and even before uh, in the first two verses of 2 Peter 1, Peter calls Jesus Lord and Savior, or one or the other, six times in verses 1, 2, 8, 11, 14, and 16. Peter understands, as you guys have seen all semester, that Jesus is the one with glory. Jesus is the one who is on the throne, not us. And the reality is that as we try to make ourselves like God, as we try to accumulate and acquire glory for ourselves, we're settling for a cheapened, lesser version of what God has for us. Some of these things, again, they may seem lofty for us. They may be worth aspiring to. But it's like winning a fantasy football league or just being a nice guy. Like, is that like the apex of what we want our lives to be? I know for me, sometimes it is, but God wants so much more for us than that, even more than good things that we may want. God wants us to be like Jesus. God wants us to reflect the glory of Christ. Not, and that, again, that's not just following the rules. That's not just being nice. But it goes back to his original design for us, that God designed us to reflect him. He made us in his image We see in this passage tonight from Peter that God is the one who is making us glorious. God is giving us his own glory to make us like him. You've seen the glory of Christ through Peter's eyes, and God is giving us the very glory of Christ. And in some ways, he already has. Look again at verses 3 and 4. Peter says, he has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. He has granted his precious and very great promises in order that we would partake in his divine nature. And in verse 5 says, having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. All these things have happened already. God has already given us his promises. He has already freed us from the sin in our lives. He has already freed us even as we continue to struggle with sin, continue to struggle with temptation, continue to try to make ourselves rivals to God. He has already freed us from that and he is already clothing us with the glory and love of Jesus. And even though we fail, again, the good news of the gospel, the good news as we get ready to celebrate Christmas is that God has done it for us. He has come to secure it for us. 
Look again at verses 5 through 9. This is, I'm, I'm a legalist. Um, that just means that I like to use the law to show people, one, that I don't mess up because I follow the rules, but um, two, can also use it as a weapon to show other people, like to put other people down. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's easy to look at these verses. I'm going to read them in a second. But it's easy to look at these and say, man, this is just like another list of rules. There's just like more stuff that I can't do. And that's not what this is. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But those of you who were at the Christmas party Sunday, we read the, the intro um, to the Jesus Storybook Bible. And that passage, I love the Jesus Storybook Bible, but that passage talked about the Bible not being about, not just being a book of rules, which some people think it is. But it's about Jesus. It's about what he has done for us. So I'm going to read these verses real quick again for us, uh, starting in verse 5. Peter says, For this very reason, um, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, for whoever lacks these qualities, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was already, it doesn't say already, but already cleansed from his former sins. We are already cleansed. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. God didn't give us his word. He didn't come to us to say, here's all the ways that you can make yourself better, like I would want to because I like to think I can control the outcome. But he said, I have done it for you because you can't do it. I have secured true glory for you, and I am making it yours. The glory of Christ, the benefits of Christ are already ours if our faith is in him. And that's the mystery of the Christian faith. You know, we, even as Christians, we don't fully realize life without sin. We still sin. We still are tempted. We still struggle But we hear this from Peter. We hear this from one who was with Jesus, who saw Jesus and who is telling us and reminding us that this is ours already. He has already freed us from our sin. As Peter sees his death approaching, as he says in verse 14, he thinks that reminding us what we already have, reminding us that these things are already ours, reminding us that God is already making us like Christ, that he is already giving us Christ's glory is the most important thing. Peter doesn't have any last teaching to give out. He's not just encouraging legalists like me to try harder. He's saying, you have to remember this. You have to remember what God has done for you. And you have to remember that he has already given it to you. Of course, as you guys are trying to remember a whole semester's worth of information for finals coming up, and as we get ready to celebrate the Christmas season, Peter wants us to remember what you've seen this semester, how you've seen Jesus through his eyes. 
wants us to remember that Christ has given us the glory of God better than any glory we could achieve on our own and true, lasting, and final glory. It's hard to wait for that. It's hard as we struggle with sin, as we see suffering around us, as we see evil around us, to wait for that and to put it off. But God is saying, and Peter is saying here, that it's worth the wait. He's saying God has done it. God is not apart from our suffering. God is not distant. He has made himself known. He has come as a man to live as we live and to die a death that we deserve to die. This is the good news of the gospel, that God is the one who has done it. Because we can't, as much as we might think that we can, as much as we might hope that we can contribute something, it's Jesus' words on the cross when he says, it is finished. It is truly finished. There's nothing any of us could hope to add to that. And that is good news for us. I was eating lunch at Panda Express in the Union today, and my fortune cookie said, with brains and beauty, you are the complete package. And I was like, yes, this is the glory that I want. This is what I want everybody to think of me. Like, I didn't show anybody else it because that was not given to me specifically or written for me. But that's the kind of glory we want. But that fortune cookie is just an impersonal piece of paper. It was not written for me. It was not written by somebody who knows me. It was probably just generated by a computer that sliced it up and put it in cookies and however that works. That fortune had just as much truth in it as Satan's lie to Adam and Eve. But friends, the God of the universe, the God who made each of us, the God who came as a man to live and to die in our place, he is the one telling us, and he's telling us through Peter, I have done this for you, and I am giving you my own glory so that you would be with me, so that you would be with me in heaven, that you would be with me finally, where there will be no more suffering, there will be no more sin. I have done it for you. I am making you like Jesus. I am making you like me. You've seen it all semester through Peter's eyes. And again, he wants us to remember. To remember that we have already escaped sin. To remember that God is already making us like himself. That he is the one adding all these things we just read in verses 5 through 8. Self-control, knowledge, brotherly love. We do have responsibility, but that responsibility is not to secure it for ourselves. That responsibility, as Peter says here, is to live in light of the reality that God has already made true for us, that he has already secured for us by the blood of Jesus. So as Peter urges us, let's remember, let's remember what God has done for us. If you're investigating the claims of Christianity, if you're looking for how you can get closer to God, I'd encourage you to let go, not let go of hope, but to let go of trying and to receive what God has freely given to us in Jesus, especially being December, Christmas coming up. God came to this earth in order to give us his glory. 
So whatever we're seeking, whatever we think is the best, even though we have to wait for it, finally, let's remember that God has given us the very best and wants his own glory to belong to us. His true, perfect glory will surely be worth the wait. So let's go now to God in prayer. God in heaven, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for giving us your glory. And Lord, thank you for doing it for us, for knowing that we cannot do it. Lord, help us to be at peace with our inability. Help us, Lord, to turn to you, to run to you, because you have done it for us. You have taken our place on the cross, and you have given us eternal life and glory in Jesus. Give us the eyes of Peter. Give us the memory of Peter, Lord, we ask in your son Jesus' name. Amen.